Content warning, this podcast contains mentions of biphobia and internalized transphobia. Hi everyone, my name is Hannah, pronouns they, them, and you're listening to Queer Sounds, a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. Um, did, I mention, mention my, did I already mention my pronouns? I did, right there, they, them. Uh, otherwise, you can just check out every other episode and I will mention them there. Um, before we dive into the episode, I want to emphasize two things. One, um, Black Lives Matter, and two... Uh, go visit my Patreon, um, patreon.com slash queersounds. But without further ado, welcome, Lee, um, calling in from, 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 from the Bay Area. Uh, Hello. Our time difference. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's evening for you. It's, it's morning for me. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had a busy day already and you're just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing okay. I mean, the state of the world is the state of the world. Um, I've been in shelter in place for like three months now, four months. I've lost all sense of what time means. Um, And uh, racism racism and anti-blackness are really gross in the United States. So that's what's happening. Yeah, and not just in the United States. No, especially in the United States, but yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll without a doubt get into that, um, at some point during our conversation, who knows? Um, but yeah, uh, introduce yourself a little bit, um, uh, your, your pronouns, um, what you do in daily life, uh, who, who are you? Who are we dealing with? <laughs> who, who am I? Who is this voice on the other side of the mic? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so my name is Lee Pfeffer. Uh, I never say the last name of I never say my last name on my podcast, so it's it's so funny. So many people don't actually know who I really am. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm Lee Pfeffer. I use they them pronouns, and I am uh, the co-host and producer of a podcast called History Is Gay, where we examine the uh, underappreciated and overlooked queer ladies, gents, and gentle NBs, as we say on the podcast, um, that have always been there in the unexplored corners of history, because history has never been as straight as people would tell you or you would think. So my guess would be that we're going to talk quite a lot about history, too, even though I'm, I, I don't have any expertise when it comes to that. Um, and the expertise that I do have comes from your podcast and, you know, <laughs> other queer history podcasts. But uh yeah let's let's dive into that idea for a little bit how did you get into that specific concept for a podcast um you know i had been wanting to do uh, a podcast kind of on on anything anything queer for a while i'd really thought about like doing some you know queer media analysis show um and couldn't really find somebody to do it with and i've always been i've always been interested in history i did a history degree for my uh, college, for my university, and I was always drawn to the stories that don't really get told. And I I remember being, you know, a kid in high school and, and writing a paper about Harvey Milk um, and how influential that was to me to be able to actually, like, learn about that and do some work in school, um, especially in the, like, you know, early 2000s, um, <laughs> 2000, really. 
Yeah, and so I had just kind of been collecting stories over the years and finding things online and Tumblr and doing my own reading, and I met someone who uh, is my co-host, or was my co-host, she's uh, unfortunately having to leave the show, um, but I met her at a, a convention that we both go to called TGI Slash, and in the process of talking about fandom and Star Wars and a whole bunch of other things, we both realized that we had both been thinking about creating a queer history podcast and we're like hey if 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 you actually want to do this then i totally actually want to do this but if it's a joke then yeah it's it's fine and then the stars um, just kind of aligned yeah yeah we we worked on it for quite some time before launching and that's that's where i am now and now i work uh actually in a queer history organization so it's wild how life goes the GBLT Historical Society? Yeah, the the GLBT Historical Society in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So what do you do there? Uh, I run the programming, and uh, back when the museum was actually open, um, and we weren't in the middle of coronavirus, I, I ran like the operations of the museum. Right, so have you had, so. I, I, I kind of looked at their website for a little bit, and, you know, I'm a sucker for museums, uh, always have been. <laughs> um Looked like there were some pretty cool exhibitions there. Did you, do you have a favorite? Yeah, actually, I, um, one thing that was really surreal for me is that the first exhibition that I actually got to work on um, was the one that we put up in November last year on Gilbert Baker, who was one of the creators of the Rainbow Flag. And like six months prior, or like a year prior, I think it was pride month like 2018 we did an episode specifically focused on gilbert baker and on the creation of the rainbow flag and then there i was like a year year and a half later hanging up one of gilbert baker's flags and that was the most surreal moment to me it was like i i talked about this and i read about this and i was so many degrees removed and here i am with it in my hands and i'm hanging it and installing it in a museum while somebody is telling me no go go up higher this side go up higher this side um that was that was like a moment of what is happening right now you know things like realizing that i have a a phone call with susan striker next week is like wait what (laughs) so it's it's pretty interesting to to be in the world how overwhelming is that because it feels like a lot of pressure to actually handle. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is, um, but you know, you have you have people who who know what they're doing, who are uh, <laughs> who are helping you out, which is good. Um, but it's it's some of the benefits of like working for a small organization. I think it's about we but about time we get some music going on. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, I think this song is about as old as I am, maybe a bit younger. <laughs> but yeah, um, there we go. Uh, sing along if you know it, because we all know it. Come on, let's be real. It, no one has never not danced to this track. Yeah! Forget my past If you wanna 
There we go, track number one, Wannabe by the Spice Girls, off of their 1996 album, Spice. So it is actually is a couple <laughs> of years younger than I am. I'm, I'm so old. <laughs> I, I actually distinctly remember all of that, you know, Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, all that type of stuff, because my grandparents passed away relatively young. Um, mm. and my aunt was actually 15 at the time. So, okay. yeah, I, I, I got dragged in, into all that. <laughs> yeah. You remember being like around it, be, you remember it being around at the very least. I remember being five years old and my aunt being 15 and having like Backstreet Boys back, um, bed sheets and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's where my love for pop music started. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I was, um, yeah, I, I was like a fully 90s, like, I'm not a girl, but like, I was a, I was a full on 90s pop girl um, growing up. <laughs> like, my friends and I used to have like the fights of like, who's better, Backstreet Boys or InSync? And I was, I was definitely an InSync obsessed kid. Like, I was obsessed with Lance Bass. Um. <laughs> I'm definitely Martin Backstreet Boys, though. <laughs> yeah um okay but, but before I, we dive into all of the lance bass type of stuff why did you specifically choose wanna be by the spice <laughs> um i i chose this because when when you asked me for like an earliest musical memory or something like that i i distinctly remember this album being the very first piece of music that i purchased with my own money it was the first time that I sought out music on my own and decided that I was going to buy it. I was like, I must, I guess I was, I must have been nine years old in 1996. Um, and I remember being in Costco, Cost Plus, and being in the line with my dad and holding the CD in my hands and being like, I'm going to buy this. Um, and it's just, it's still... I don't know, it's so emblematic of, like, the era that I grew up in. Like, that, like, 90s girl, girl power kind of thing. Um, and, and the, like, now as, like, an adult queer, I can, I, I can recognize and respect the inherent camp in the entirety that is the Spice Girls. Um, like, I still have spice world and i watch it every once in a while because it's the most ridiculous film that's e perhaps ever been made um and yeah i don't know it just what drew you to the spice girls as a nine-year-old is it just the energetic bouncy yeah i think it was it was in the zeitgeist it was the big thing um it was a like a girl group you know so seeing people that i i could connect with and be like, wow, they're so cool. And it was just, it's really fun. I mean, I still, like, one of the things that have, has gotten me through quarantine is 
getting up in the morning, getting in the shower and blasting a bunch of music. And I will put on like a 90s playlist. And it's great when, you know, Spice Girls comes on and I'm just like dancing in the shower. There's there's no way that it cannot just kind of make you feel good, even though it's such a product of its time. And like that, like weird 90s, like brand of, of feminism is very problematic in some ways. But Antiquated. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's it's just very... Yeah, it, it's very emblematic of... There's a lot of nostalgia there. And I mean, you know, probably being a tiny queer kid having cute women up on my walls probably <laughs> is an element of that. <laughs> so were you much or are you much of a music collector like physical releases? Is the, Do you still buy those? Not anymore. Not anymore. I used to love it. Um, I would have just like CD towers all over my room. Um but I really, in the last several years, as things have gone digital, I've really kind of found that it's a lot harder for me to discover music because I tend to just go back to what I know. And, or or I'll do like, you know, shuffle on playlists. I kind of, I miss that. I miss like getting a CD and putting it into the player and listening to the whole album through. And I don't really do that so much anymore. It's, you know, like I will play music in some ways has kind of become background as opposed to an experience. And I kind of miss that. And that's that's one thing that, you know, moving away from like the physical has has kind of done for me. What's stopping you from picking it back up? Just the convenience of it all? Yeah, I guess. I I think just like attention spans and being busy and... Yeah, I mean, I still really enjoy, like, when we can go back to concerts. Um, like, I, I feel like I feel that again, like when I when I go to shows, and it's it's such a communal experience. Yeah, yeah, when it comes to physical releases, I actually actively made the decision to have like Sunday afternoon being my typical. I'm gonna browse through my CD collection and pick something out. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, and you know, it really makes you appreciate the entire experience much more i don't know because it becomes less background i think mm-hmm. uh, but that also kind of scratches or like kind of rubs along the lines of snobbery like you really must listen to it i don't know <laughs> i mean i think it's i think it's you know appreciation like i definitely remember you know just laying on my bed as a teenager listening to like the you, like i remember getting I mean, I guess I was older than a teenager when this happened. Um, but, like, when Amanda Palmer, who I have so many problems with her right now um, <laughs> as, a, as an adult, but, like, listening to the the Who Killed Amanda Palmer album over and over and over and over and over and over and, like, never skipping a song is there's parts of me that like really wants that back yeah the thing is the 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 image you just uh the picture you just painted there you know lying on your bed and i don't know if you had headphones on yes or no but that's actually literally how i listen to a lot of podcasts nowadays so i guess music Mm. also just has a lot more competition yeah i guess so i mean there's there's so much digital media out there and so much that we listen to people are so much more into audiobooks now and i think i think part of it too is just that we are so much busier and so much more connected and with everything at our fingertips it's a lot 
I feel like it's a lot harder at times to be intentional about what you're going to spend your time with. You know, like I'm constantly multitasking, <laughs> like watching something while playing a game and also reading a thing on the internet. And I just need to learn to slow down and Yeah, appreciate. I really think that intentionality is something that, yeah, like you said, can slow you down and help relax. At least that's my experience with it. But you wanted to talk about lens base. Let me have it. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, this is the story that I always tell is that I was obsessed with him and my parents constantly made fun of me for being like so in love with him. I remember my dad literally once pranked me by calling from an unmarked number and saying that I had won some like sweepstakes to meet Lance Bass. And then they just heard me screaming from upstairs. And then I just heard laughter and I'm like, screw you guys. Um <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks, parents. Thanks so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like my, you know, a like little my... bit of context for those unaware. Lance Baz is actually one of the members of InSync that isn't Justin. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the not ramen head. Um, <laughs> uh, he's he's the gay one, uh, which is what's so funny about it. There's no such because... thing as coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I I was so in love with him. And I actually came out, I came out before Lance Bass. Um, I came out to like my friends and my family before he came out to the public. And I have distinct memories of him coming out and every single one of my friends at the time called my house on our landline telephone, spoke to my parents and asked to speak to me. And then when I got a hold of the phone, they all said, oh, it makes sense now. Everything's so much clearer. Uh, I mean, he was the male Ellen DeGeneres. Sue me. Um, <laughs> so how did your taste in music develop from there? Because my guess is that even though you still listen to a lot of this 90s pop stuff, it's not the it's it's you didn't stick around to it. I got a lot more actively queer and anti-establishment. So like as a as like a like a like an older teenager, I I very vehemently um like threw like threw off all of that and you know started listening to like the Distillers and Bikini Kill and like Operation Ivy and you know I was very invested in being the like ah yes, I am a I am a punk queer kid now. And all of this pop music is trash and I can't believe I was into it. And it was, you know, only until like I became a young adult that I was like, wait, that's stupid. <laughs> Just enjoy music. It is still very typical for, you know, that Bay Area, SoCal, 1990s, early 2000s type of type, type of vibe, isn't it? Like yeah. you mentioned, Operation Ivy, Green Day, thats they're all from that same periphery. Which so is so makes... funny because I didn't grow up in the Bay Area. I was, yeah, I was in SoCal, I, you know, but I think like I had a friend, we're still good friends, but I've, I've had a friend since since elementary school that our, our tastes kind of evolved together in that we were we were both really into No Doubt, which then evolved into Garbage, which then evolved into The Distillers and a lot of punk and ska um and that was that was really influential for me um and i yeah i don't think it was like until i maybe got into college that i started deconstructing what i had you know decided was not for me or childish and just kind of 
got back into like whatever i'm gonna listen to whatever the hell i want to it's also a type of it's also kind of the age where you get more nostalgic for things i guess so it also lines up in that yeah. sense mm-hmm. yeah listening to a lot of fiona apple with my roommate actually that that was my fresh my freshman year was the year that extraordinary machine came out and that was like have you listened to your oh, latest man. album because it's phenomenal no, I'm so behind. <laughs> but that I, I have a feeling this will be a moment where where I'm laying on my bed and listening to the entirety of the new Fiona Apple, because um, yeah. Obviously, I'm biased because everyone around me is very positive about it. So I'm just kind of copying whatever I'm hearing. But I can't listen to Fetch the Bolt Cutters and say, yeah, no, this is a bad thing because it's not. <laughs> I was so into extraordinary machine and i actually i listened to the the quote-unquote leaked demo before the official album was released and i don't know if you've ever heard that but like it had a lot more horns and it had some different arrangements of a whole bunch of different songs and it was like a fake leak to, to kind of promote the album and it was so good. It was so good. And my roommate and I would just sit and listen to all of these songs. And it just brought back, like, being a kid and just hearing, like, random Fiona Apple songs come on the radio but not having any context for who they were. And, uh, yeah. Oof. How big of a role did radio play in the songs that you decided to listen to? A huge amount. I think radio and also just what was being played on the car stereo from my parents. Back when Um, radio still actually had that purpose. Right, exactly. So like a lot of, yeah, just a lot of 90s songs that like, I I still don't even really know the artists, but you know, all those one hit wonders that I just remember coming on the radio um, or, or my mom would put in a CD like we, um... My mom used to pick my myself and my friends up from school. Like our parents would kind of rotate, and and when my mom would pick it up, pick us up, we would all get in the car and we would all blast Shania Twain, <laughs> which is you know very emblematic of like '90s somewhat like country uh, suburb ha- uh, horse town. If you would have to name like one like, what's the word for it? Um, like. The, the the champion for 90s one-hit wonders, like the one artist that you think of when it's like, yes, that's the most typical 90s one-hit wonder. Oh, man. I mean, I always just think of, I can't even, I can't even remember the name of the, I, I know the name of the artist now, but I can't recall it right now, but whoever did Two Princes. Ooh. Yeah. Um, oh, God. I know the artist. Spin Doctors. There we go, Spin Doctors. There we go. That's that's always the like you know like in trivia, right? Where they they play the song and I'm like, wait, I know the name, but then I was blanking on it. Yeah, yeah. That's just like that's that's really emblematic. Um, I was I was yeah. thinking more into the direction of uh, Eagle Eye Cherry. Mm, yeah, Eagle Eye Cherry. But, then, uh, but now I that I really... mention it, I'm not even sure if that was released in the '90s. It could also just be like 2001 or something. Yeah, maybe. I I can't remember. I don't know. I remember being. Um, now I'm just like walking down memory lane. It's so funny when we That's when we first started for, talking. Right? Yeah, when we first started talking about this, I'm like, God, I don't really know like how many memories I have about music, and now it's just all coming up. Um, like there was a my family and I used to go camping with with another family uh, several years in a row, and there was one year where there were like four of us kids, and we just kept 
singing and dancing to All Star by Smash Mouth. Of course. And we came up with a dance for it. <laughs> and then at my bat mitzvah, we performed it. I mean, you're lucky this is radio. Otherwise, I would have asked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my bat mitzvah was literally like backstage pass pop themed. Like, like I got like... Everybody had like little press passes right. for their for their tables. So fun. <laughs> so like mine was the in sync table. Of course. Um, <laughs> of course. Did you save an empty seat for Lance Bass? <laughs> I wish. My dad actually got to meet Lance Bass like several years ago and sent me a picture with him. And I was like, cool, my inner 12-year-old's freaking out right now. Backtracking to Safe Tonight by Eagle Eye Cherry, it's actually released in 1997, so I'm good. Okay, there we go. How about we dive into our second track for today? Because if we start running down memory lane even further, who knows where we'll end (laughs) up. We'll never never stop. We'll never see the end of it. Um, Let's see. Just One of the Guys by Jenny Lewis. There we go. Just one of the guys by Jenny Lewis um, off of the Voyager album 2014. Some people say that that was a pretty mediocre year for music, but it had some great releases, including this one. I'm kind of torn what this song is actually about because when I looked at the lyrics, there was one part of internali- uh, internalized misogyny, but it can also be very much seen as intern uh, as internalized uh, queerphobia. Uh, this being you know, our little section, Queer Artist Spotlight. Yeah, that, that, that could be a way to listen to the song. But you probably know a lot about a lot more about that than I do. So do take the wheel. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I I was like racking my brain to try to figure out what I should should pick for this. And this song lies squarely in I cannot divorce it from its music video okay. experience. Um, so I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. But it is, so this is actually something that a friend of mine introduced me to, like sent me this video and we just went down a rabbit hole. And it's it's Jenny Lewis and it has Kristen Stewart and Brie Larson and Anne Hathaway in it, all in drag. And it just is, it's so 
A, it just makes me extremely gay watching all of these people. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's just, it, I mean, it takes me back to, like, days of listening to Rilo Kylie, um, and, like, Jenny Lewis's voice just always gets me back into that space. Honestly, like, I don't even know how much I've internalized the lyrics. It's just, it's, it's a visual experience for me with this song. Um, like, the entirety that we were listening to that, I was just reminded of the the music video and it's i love the way that it it plays with all of these these like celebrities who are playing at masculinity um and it's it's very hyped up and it's i don't know i have a lot of i have a lot of trans feels (laughs) about it of like aping like these like hyper feminine celebrities aping masculinity and making fun of it um but also like really leaning into it and enjoying what that that means for them it's just a really fun video and it's it's very playful and it's it's one of the experiences of just like seeing people be on screen and like being really playful with gender right yeah it has so much connection to like at the time i was really into orphan black and meeting a whole bunch of friends from it and my my friend from Orphan Black fandom is the person who introduced me to this. Right. What about your own queer experience? You just briefly mentioned that you came out um, before Lance Bass. When are we thinking? What What was your... I think I, I came out kind of to myself um, upon realizing that I didn't just want to be friends with slash be Eliza Dushku and I wanted to kiss her. Um... <laughs> So I I was probably like 13, 14, something like that. And I think I came out to my friends in in high school. I think actually one of my friends just asked me if I was gay. And I was like, uh, yeah, there you go. And, uh, and my parents, I actually didn't get to quite come out to my parents so much as my parents, um, found me in my room kissing a girl. (laughs) (laughs) so as you do happens yeah so that happened yeah yeah you know just just a girl that i had met on the internet who drove with her dad from modesto to come meet me (laughs) that doesn't mean anything to me that might as well be just a five oh it's i mean it was is basically like it's the middle of the state and i was in the bottom of the state so like they drove like two or three hours (laughs) but this was like a friend that i had like met online and I cannot believe that our parents actually agreed to this. I mean, this was in the this was in the era of like, don't meet people from the internet. The f- hell are you doing? Um, <laughs> the internet is scary, and no one can be trusted. That you on on there. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she was a very interesting person that I look back on, and I'm like, oh boy, wow, uh, that was a time. Uh, but yeah, that was that was how I came out to my parents, and and it took I think it took them a while to like realize that it wasn't a phase, but it was never like it was never like I'm really lucky in that it was never a negative thing. Like I never like I did not have to worry about getting kicked out of my house. You know, my mom was like, oh, I I would have known if you were a lesbian since you were young, and I'm like, okay, sure. So I feel I feel really lucky that I was kind of able to be unabashedly queer in in my in my upbringing which is nice so i'm having actually a bit of a hard time to get a grip on what your perspective or what your 
yeah what your perspective on queerness or on your personal queerness is because i feel like we're talking primarily about romantic or sexual attraction and not per se of your your gender experience gender yeah um i mean gender yeah so i so it's funny that i i you know i mentioned that my mom my mom was like oh i would have known that you were a lesbian les lesbian never fit ever Uh, I mean, it it still feels, like, weird in my mouth. Um, It, like, I never identified with it. People would, people would use it for me, and I would just kind of, like, cringe. And I couldn't, I couldn't articulate why. Yeah, couldn't quite put your finger Uh, on it. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know, like, maybe, maybe it's because the word has been used in a bad way before. I don't know. But, yeah, it just never fit. And it wasn't until I was, I was probably in my late 20s that I I realized that there was some, like, really realized that there was some gender stuff going on with it because I had started to surround myself with trans people, with non-binary people, and realizing that there was, there was, like, more than one way to be trans. Because I have, I have memories, like, years ago, and I, I had never verbalized this really with anybody until I, I met a friend that I was working with who ended up saying the exact same thing, and I looked at them and was like what the experience of like walking through a mall there you go that that'll date me um malls and um seeing mannequins with like masculine tailored clothing and looking at them and going i want that i want that really badly the, the clothing but i don't want to be a the physique the physique and the clothing in the physique right and this weird disconnect of like, but I don't want to be a boy and I'm like fine with my body or whatever. But like, I want that. I want that to look like that on me. I just kind of like, I internalized that. I never really expressed that until I was literally walking through a mall with someone that I worked with and we were passing express and they, they were, they were using different pronouns at the time. And now, you know, now we've both kind of come to realize like, oh, we're both non-binary as fuck um but you know look looking at like one of the mannequins going like you know what i'd really like for that to look like that on me but i don't want to change anything about myself and i was like what excuse me this is not something that just came out of my weird brain um yeah and i just like i had been kind of i think it had always been down there in in my brain but not really vocalized and not really super thought about you never really had a way to articulate it, maybe. Right, yeah. And I had, you know, I had done some drag before. I had, like, bound my chest for, like, drag things. And, like, like whoa, I have no boobs. But didn't really go f- go further. Um, and, like, the moment where I really started doing internal work and really starting to think, like, huh, was literally a Tumblr ask. It was, you know, it was an it was an anonymous message that just asked. It was three words. It was, "Are you cis?" And I went to go answer it, and I didn't have an immediate answer. And I was like, "Hold up, wait a minute." That's a question that hits hard. Ooh, I gotta do some thinking. <laughs> um, because I had like posted some like you know trans stuff, you know, as an ally. Um, you know, and so somebody like Anon messaged me and was like, are you cis? And I went to like, I went to immediately go answer it. Like I've got an answer. And I was like, wait a minute. So it was, it was a, it was a period of like 
Okay, I don't know that I can, like, I don't know if I could say that I'm trans, but I think that there's some non-cisness going on. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, Reply and asking, like, fuck mate, if only I knew. Right, yeah. I was just like, huh, you know, that, that like, that, like, fucked up biphobic, you know, trope of, like, oh, yes, you're, you're bisexual on the way to becoming gay. I mean, like, which is such bullshit. But for me, it was, like, the, it was the baby steps of, like, well, I don't think I'm trans, but I don't know that I'm fully cis. Um, and then, you know, realizing like how that was internalized transphobia and just starting to like lean into it and, and really surrounding myself with more and more trans friends. It was my, my, my friends and I joke that it's kind of like, you know, trans person opens up their coat, their trench coat of like gender of like, like, uh, like black market genders. Be like, hey, kid, want a new gender? I got a bunch here for you. <laughs> that's what it that's what it was like getting a bunch of trans friends like wait there's more than one way to do this huh apparently yeah i don't know i tell people like i don't know what the hell my gender is but i know it's not xyz you know i know it's not this um like, whenever the, the image you just kind of pulled up there like being three genders in a trench coat and was like keep your gender away from me i don't want this <laughs> i mean but maybe there's like a black hole in the trench coat like that one i want that one <laughs> it's like you see three genders or more genders stacked up underneath the trench coat and it's like this one little pocket it's like this oh when you open it up it's just a void yes yes i like that um i like the like the memes that like what are my pronouns my pronouns are don't refer to me <laughs> just don't Yes. None. Don't refer to me at all. I mean, yeah, for people I freaking... who don't want to be referred to, we are spending quite some time in the public air, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I like those jokes. So I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've tried many times to try to find like a specific, like a specific non-binary gender that fits me. And it's just, it's always shifting. And it's like, I don't know. I've just kind of, I've become comfortable in that weird gray, gray area. So non-binary and genderqueer really really feel at home to me just like i don't know what it is but it's different i'm particularly fond of the type of memes where like a drop down menu screws up it's like gender <laughs> of the day is like oh, oh, <gasps> man yes. woman argentinian i don't know oh yeah yeah oh i love i love that twitter gender of the day like a slight like a slightly aggravated and gender today's gender of the day is slightly aggravated owl or something like it so perfectly encapsulates the the slippery nature of having a non-binary gender. Be like, I don't, man, I don't know. Yeah, and it really was, it wasn't until the last maybe three or four years that I really started leaning into like, okay, these are my pronouns and I'm going to really advocate for it. Um, you know, I started the like, the she, they you know, had friends kind of like pepper it in. And at first I really wasn't, I was like, oh man, I really want this to fit. And like, I didn't feel the euphoria of they. And that was really disappointing for me. But over the years, it's kind of been like, like, I don't feel the euphoria with they so much, but it's more the like, ah, I don't have to deal with that like weird needle pinprick in my brain every time somebody uses she or her. Yeah, I did particularly feel euphoria when I started using they, but that's just because there isn't really a, an official, uh, officially acknowledged Dutch equivalent. Maybe that mm -hmm. played a part in it. But with that constant misgendering, mate, it's... Yeah, it's... Pff, and here's a thing that I will get. Um, please, folks, if you are listening to this podcast 
and uh, you are also a History is Gay listener. I, I, I am non-binary, and I am not, <laughs> I'm not a gal or a lady. I love you all, but I have, I have received several emails where it's like, hey, History is Gay ladies or gals, and I'm just like, no. I know that my voice sounds female. I am not, though. So please, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that actually somewhat inspired me to actively put my pronouns at the beginning of each episode. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Instead, <laughs> I'm I might start doing that. But then again, it's also n- no effort at all to you know if you're reaching out to if people are reaching out to you to just look at your twitter bio and see that you actually use they them pronouns right right exactly yeah how much of an effort would that be yeah it's certainly it's an interesting world out there i mean you know cis sexism is is everywhere cis cis normativity is everywhere speaking of the world out there let's (laughs) go back to a world in which we could actually still attend live events oh gosh yeah um i miss it as much as anyone if not more this song uh i'm i'm really amused by the fact that both of us were like just hardcore like drum pantomiming during that entire song <laughs> uh, i forgot yeah, his yeah. name but i do love that that i just love the drumming in paramore it's so good i uh remember i when i was uh, back in high school we had to um to graduate in music as like a graduation subject we had to give a concert and i actually did crush 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 as like my 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 final gig there and yeah it was 
That's actually one of the few songs that one of the songs that got me into drumming. Really. The other one being the View from the Afternoon by Arctic Monkeys. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, this this stuff is great. I love Paramore. I'm a sucker for the mid 2000s emo pop punk type of stuff <laughs> because that was mm-hmm. my childhood, uh, or at least you know all of all of my my high school experience. But enough yeah, about me. I I didn't discover them until I was like in college, out of college maybe even. Yeah, I was an adult. There's like there's so many reasons why I chose this song when you asked me to pick something like uh, that's a concert experience because the way that I discovered Paramore was like really weirdly roundabout. The only thing I knew about them when this album came out was oh, they did the soundtrack to Twilight and I hated Twilight and I had no interest in it at all like i was a bookseller at the time so i was like really snobbish about it and so like i you know did not care about it at all and i was like whatever and i had no interest in paramore because that's all i knew about them i had never listened to really anything i just that was the sole thing that i knew is like they were connected in my brain with twilight and i had a vehement dislike about twilight and a friend of mine nathan won a radio contest it was it was when they were doing like the honda civic tour and they, they won a, 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 this radio contest. It's like, you have the chance to win this car and you got concert tickets. It was a Paramore concert. They had invited a, a, another friend of ours to go and she couldn't go. But she was like, you know who should go? You know who you should contact is Lee because they really love Tegan and Sarah and Tegan and Sarah were opening. Right. Okay. So that's not how I went. Happens. Yeah. Right. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go for this. Like this super you know queer fun time and like we like we got to meet like they did this whole thing where it was you know all the contest winners like line up and we got to meet paramore and get signatures from them and then they did this whole thing where it's like you know the the contest winners got like a key to the car and they all you know tried to see whose key won you know worked and won And it was just such a moment of like, I'm meeting these people and I have no idea who they are. And I was super chill about it. I was like, whatever, sure. And like, now I love Paramore. And I'm like, remember that time when I met Paramore and I had no idea who they were? And like, we're in this concert. Like the openers were amazing. I got to see Tegan and Sarah and Newfound Glory was there too. And so that was bringing back all of these like early 2000s, like So what (laughs) year are we talking? Was that, was that when Haley was still married to the guy from Newfound Glory? Were they married? Aren't talking. Oh, I would imagine. So this was, Ooh, um, it must've been, I don't know. It must've been like 2009, 2010, something like that. But yeah. And then like, and then Paramore came out. And I was completely blown away by Haley. I was like, how is this voice and this energy coming from such a tiny human? What the hell? And that's when I just like fell in love. I was like, I, I was like, I renounce everything that I said. And it was, it was so perfectly a moment of going back to that, like, I'm going to reject this thing because it's not what I think is cool and blah, blah, blah. And then just being like, no, you know what? I really like this. Screw whatever anybody else says. Right. And so that's that's when I started getting into Paramore. And then a couple of years ago, I had a couple of friends drive up from Southern California and stay with me for a couple of days. And we went to go see Paramore uh, in Oakland um, for for their, their new album. Oh, so good. So good. I could listen to Fake Happy over and over and over and over. 
And it was just so much fun. And it was just like really, we just had a really queer time. Like we'd like, I remember we took photos outside, um, like with all of us with like flannels around our waists and we're like, God, this is gay. General queer uniform. Yeah, exactly. And like, we were up in the balcony and we were like jumping up and down and like the balcony was like shaking almost with everybody's like just really getting into the music. And it was really interesting to have gone from a space of like going to a Paramore concert, not knowing anything and having and dis- and a moment of discovery to, ah, uh, yes, I've loved this band for a while. And now I'm like getting back into all of that. Yeah, I, I think I actually saw them on the same tour. But you know the European branch. Yeah, of it. yeah, it was right. so good. So good, and like I did they did they I can't remember what they close with. Do they close with "That's What You Get" or "Misery Business," where they brought people up from the audience? I think they closed with "Misery Business," like with one yeah. one fan. Um, but yeah. that, I'm not entirely sure if that would have been like before or after a staged encore. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember it. Uh, it's it's very much a blur. Um, but yeah, like that was so much. Yeah, so much of my relationship with music is is tied to memories. Like I just I remember that weekend and the night before we all went and saw um, uh, Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher do a show together, like a comedy show. Yeah, I think like when I get with friends is when music is the most magical. That actually ties into something else that I wanted to talk to you about because you uh, briefly touched upon it in the beginning of our conversation, like the the TGI Flem Slash, um, the, the entire sense of community with everything that's going on mm. and also with your general queer experience. Like how much, how important has that been for you in the past? That, that's been incredibly important. I mean, I my entire life has been in the context of fandom and the majority of of what I discover is because of fandom and friends that I have met in these spaces. Um, like I think ever I think almost every every song that we've talked about, I've had you know relationship to it with with fandom or with friends that I met because I was into a particular show or a book or or something like that. Um, and I mean, there was a period of my life where, like when I was in college, that I was consistently going to shows. Um, for wizard rock bands, um, which is Harry Potter music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I remember, like, going on a first date with a girl that I dated in college to a wizard rock concert. <laughs> and, like, that was, like, our first date. It was, like, we dressed up in our, like, Slytherin clothing and went on this date and, and like, rocked out to, like, really, like, rough amateur musicians who are just like really into harry potter that actually yeah. sounds like a fun time though i mean it was really fun not too much into harry potter myself but i can very much if if, if you'd re- replace harry potter with say pokemon i do exactly that and you know yes. i wouldn't even mind who i've i've been there actually I, <laughs> when i was in a when I was in a band myself, I just couldn't resist but write songs about Pokemon. And there we go. So mm-hmm. yeah, I totally get the, the the entire nerdy fandomy stuff. Like yeah, how 
preoccupied are you with that? Because I feel like everything just kind of neatly falls together. Uh, like you've got geeking out about things. There is the queer stuff. There is the history nerd. And I feel like you as a person would fall perfectly in like that Venn diagram of all of those things. Yeah, I'm definitely in the middle of that, of that Venn diagram. I mean, I, I had said like, back, you know, going back to like Orphan Black days and my, my really good friend Jack, he was writing you know, Orphan Black songs in the beginning. And that's how we became friends. <laughs> it's like I was listening to his songs and be like, oh my God, these are so good. Yeah, it's all just, it's very, it's all very in- intertwined. I'm actually kind of jealous of you in that aspect because in all of those things, you managed to find a sense of community. Whereas I'm just kind of stumbling through from, from one Twitter page to another and being too introverted to react with anything. Oh, no. <laughs> Best advice I can give you is just talk to people. Just talk to them. Like, the majority of my friends that I have met from fandom is just, I literally sent them a message and be like, you seem cool. I'm into this thing. We're friends now. What I love about fandom sort of things is because it's easy to make friends in fandom because you already have a common interest you all like you don't have to be like ah yes let me learn about you you could just be like dude and that episode when that character did that thing and then you just start talking like it's the experience of like being in a line waiting for something and you have the bonding moment with someone that's been that's been instrumental to me in meeting friends as an adult because like that gap of like oh how do i meet friends when I'm no longer in college and I have a built-in group of people around me that we're all having shared experiences. Like, that's kind of what fandom has done for me is, ah, yes, here's a thing that I could talk about with someone. And that spurs more relationship. I feel like we're running kind of short on time, so I'm just gonna, <laughs> gonna throw in the last song for today. Um, you mentioned these were... This this all just ties in so perfectly because they're friends of yours as well, right? <laughs> they, yeah. Um, so this is. Uh, I mean, should we talk about it after the song or before? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about it after. Let's let's okay. Let's get it going. I was a child. I walked around with my hands stretched to my side.
There we go, Lucky by Hey King. It's a standalone single for now. I haven't actually heard of this band before, but you know, that's because they're really, 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 really new. Um, yeah. This song <laughs> was put on Spotify like a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just uh, they're they're just starting to release some singles and they're working on an album. Um, actually, the, the song that I had originally chosen when you asked me um, is not available yet, so I had to message uh, Natalie, one of the one of the folks in the band, to be like, "Is there any way that I could get an MP3?" And she's like, mm, "We can't release it until August." Um, but yeah, it, it really is the perfect uh, bringing it back to what I was talking about because I met these folks at a an event that I go to called Zenite Retreat, which is basically Xena-themed adult summer camp. And uh, they came to camp last year uh, because they were connected with a uh, documentary that was being made that um, we were featured in. And they played a set and it was so good. They started out by playing like the Xena theme. Um, <laughs> And this year uh, for Zenite Retreat got got canceled, um, but we were all supposed to be in like a, like a group, like a cabin. Um, we were also like they were actually coming as campers this year. And that didn't get to happen, but we had like a virtual Zenite Retreat, and um, and Natalie and Taylor are they like did a a virtual concert, and it was just really fun. Yeah, it was really neat, and like a friend made a, a music video off of like a Xena music video off of off of one of their songs, and it's just really really neat to watch them perform, and they're so passionate, and it's it's really fun to just like bop along. And there's a lot of emotion in the songs. Yeah, I I really enjoyed um, the. The, the pizzicato um, strings in the background there. Mm-hmm. And then the, the way it just kind of all blows up and becomes big and dramatic. like Yeah, yeah. Just like the building up to a climax. The There's a lot of... I feel like there's a lot of theatricality in their songs, which is really gorgeous. Yeah, and they're based out of um, San Diego. Um, before we wrap up... I always end on the same question, or at least I try to, but, you know, I'm still kind of workshopping what kind of question I actually want to ask here. (laughs) For today, let's go with the final question. What role does music play in your queer experience? I think that music really helped me explore my queer identity as something that I could be really fully proud of and as part of, like, a subculture. Um, Like, I I think back to getting into things like The Distillers and Bikini Kill and Pansy Division and really seeking out music that was like, hey, I'm queer, fuck you. I experienced that with friends and 
some media, but discovering like queer core music and and like like lesbian riot girl stuff was the first time that I'd really gotten to experience other people being so politically queer too. And so I think that was a big tipping point. It's kind of a catalyst for, for your own experience. Yeah, yeah. I think it it became part of my identity in in a way that was like, okay, I can I can kind of use this as a model in in talking about and thinking about my queerness. Like I think I told I told you the story when we when we had our first conversation about my friend Sean and I in high school being like young queer kids just being like, yeah, we're angry at the world and we're really queer. Fuck you. And we would like drive around in his <laughs> like shitty car and with the with the windows rolled down. And we would just blast Pansy Division while we were driving around our like conservative suburban uh, suburban neighborhood, just like ah yes, these two queer teens like, and he was like one of my only other queer friends. Like the way you and, do as and, a teen, ruffle some. Yeah, right. Like we're like we're like driving past schools, like blasting. He fucked my ass, or he beat my ass in tennis, and I fucked his ass in bed thinking that we were, like, the coolest rebels. All right, but you know that there must be at least one kid at that school that saw you and is like, you know what, that actually does look cool. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that was that was our that was our perfect idea of a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> All right. Um, with that, I hope you will have a lovely rest of your Saturday afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that you have a good rest of your... Uh, Saturday evening. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, this has been Queer Sounds. Uh, yeah, before we go, I actually want to, to plug my Patreon again. Um, and uh, also, you know, go check out History is Gay um, because their content is great. Um, and for both podcasts, go and tell a friend. Um, you know, best uh, best way of advertising is just when you tell friends about how cool our stuff is and how lovely <laughs> of people we are um and yeah lee thank you for coming on and i want to thank everybody else for listening thank you so much for having me